morning, everybody. It's Jeff Goldberg for the Sales Pro Network. Happy New Year. It is Friday, January 7th of 2022. I can't believe we're in a new year. Thank goodness that last one was not the best year of anybody's life. Although I have to tell you, I've been advising you for over a month and a half that there's plenty of time to still close business and don't slack off at the end of the year. I closed five deals in the last two weeks of the year, so I hope you did too. And I hope your New Year's is off to a rousing start. Uh, at the end, I'm going to share with you a income tracker that I've uh, created for you guys. And anybody who wants it, you're welcome to it. Uh, all you have to do is send me an email and in the subject line, just say tracker and I'll be happy to send it to you. Uh, for those of you who are new to the Sales Pro Network, I founded the Sales Pro Network on Facebook as a place to elevate the profession of sales. It's a place where salespeople, whether you're a professional salesperson or you just sell as part of your job, can come and get great advice and coaching. A lot of my competitors are on here with me, and we're happy to take questions and help you out. And then every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, I either do a live training or a live interview with somebody who can add value to the profession of sales. And I guarantee you, today is no exception. Uh, if you have not connected your Facebook to StreamYard, then if you're saying hello, and I appreciate it if you do, all it says is Facebook user. So good morning, Facebook user. I'm not sure who you are, but if you haven't connected your Facebook to StreamYard, when you do say make a comment, please put in your name. And good morning, Mark Lawrence, the guy who knows how to do it right. And it's my pleasure to now introduce you to today's guest who absolutely will add some value to all of us. Say hello to Jeff Clare. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Jeff. It's so nice Happy to see you. Happy New Year. I, and I appreciate your being here because I know you're recovering from COVID. Yes, yes. One more thing to start the year off with. Absolutely. Well, let, let's see if we can make this a, a, an interesting and happy hour for you. Uh, why don't we start out with maybe, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and your background and how you got to be? Jeff is a fractional VP of sales. Uh, he runs Clairvoyant Consulting. I, is that right? Clairvoyant. That's correct. Right? Yes. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your background? Sure. So like many of you, 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 you develop skill sets over time. Early in my career, I started off on the buying side of the table, working for a lot of major national retailers, buying basically product for any part of the human body that's being worn. Um, and then I shifted over to the wholesale side. And for one of the main reasons I did that was I felt that there was a big lack of understanding of people selling to me, not understanding the metrics that made me successful. And I got very frustrated with that. And decided I could really help by changing that. And that's when I ended up going to the wholesale side of the business with what's now Haynes Brands. And I really developed a, a large um, knowledge base of really consumer product goods. The division I worked for was really a blend between traditional packaged goods and the fashion industry. And it was a really a, a tremendous way of really learning uh, a skill set across a number of areas. Uh, I worked through a number of different industries. Um, family businesses, private equity-owned businesses. And then in time, um, I ended up starting a consulting practice. And I did that back in 2010. And I did that for four years, really very functionally based within my industry. Um, was brought back out, took a corporate role leading a global sales organization, uh, which was great fun. And I traveled to amazing places over those six years. And then during COVID, I had to pivot again. And I pivoted and reopened my consultant practice, but this time I did something a little different. Uh, I kept my consultant practice, Clairvoyant Consulting, but I'm now powered by a larger international company called Sales Acceleration. We are business agnostic. We focus on small and medium-sized businesses, uh, and we really run through a process. So we're involved in setting up strategy, process, execution, and then finally management where I get involved in that fractional VP role, um, where they get high-level sales management support, but they pay a fraction of the cost for a fraction of my time. Nice, nice. Uh, Mark Lawrence, a very funny guy, says it's Jeff Squared. Uh, and thank <laughs> yes, you for putting your name in there, Mark. Uh, happy morning, happy new year, and good morning from Texas. I'm guessing that's our friend Fran Hebler. And somebody else says, good morning, Jeff. For, for those of you who have not connected your account to StreamYard, uh, I don't know who you are, but good morning to you, too. By the way, if you're watching on the replay, please do put replay in the comments. So, Jeff, you mentioned something a few moments ago that I'm passionate about, uh, metrics. Most yes. salespeople are not passionate about metrics. In fact, they hate them. They don't want to do them. They don't want to track them. Typically, in my opinion, because they think their manager or boss is going to use them against them. Can you speak a little bit about how you discover the importance of metrics and why you feel they are so valuable? Yeah, so metrics, it, it, and they shouldn't be considered 
a negative. And I understand salespeople in many ways want to be left alone. Just let me go and work with clients. But there's two kinds of metrics to be looking at. There's lagging indicators and there's leading indicators. The lagging indicators are the simple ones. Okay, how is the business? What is the sales performance against last year? What are the orders against last year? Those tell you what happened, but it doesn't tell you where the business is going. And what management should really be concerned about is what is the indications of business to come? What changes do we need to do in our marketing strategy? What resources do we need to put against product allocation to manage what's happening and against what those leading indicators? So what would leading indicators look like? A part of it could be your pipeline in understanding the different uh, parts of the sales funnel. What percentage do you have of new prospects to those that you've made presentations to, that you are out with quotes? That's a leading indicator. In comparisons to last year, those can be important. Other indicators that you want to be looking at, and it could depend on the business you're in, is you may have a metric that you want to contact 25 prospects a week. And you've worked out or management has worked out what closing ratios will look like. And we could talk about that further. And that's a tool individual salespeople should be using that the behaviors that you're doing in your business will lead to the success you're looking for. And those are the metrics that are the most important. And they can vary. They don't have to be the same metrics for the whole year. Concentrate on a few important ones is one of the suggestions I really have. Yeah, that's great. You, you can definitely get bogged down with too many metrics, too, me, too much information, you know, uh, paralysis by analysis. But exactly. uh, at, at, I worked for a large sales training company before I opened up my own. And the owner there taught me the importance of knowing your numbers. Uh, certainly what you were talking about from a VP level, you know, uh, you, you need you need metrics to make predictions and forecasts. But uh, from the sales manager level, I, I'm always uh, interested in what are your activity metrics? Uh, how many, let, let's just take cold calling for an example, because it's the easiest to talk about. How many times do you dial the phone? How many times do you get through to the right person? How many appointments you get? How many emails do you send? How many return emails? How many voicemails do you leave? How many returns? As a sales manager, if I have those numbers, I can help a, a salesperson achieve almost any goal. You, you put into, into place things like average sales cycle, average dollar volume per sale. Uh, and, and once you know how much activity it takes to earn X, if you want to earn two times X, it's very simple. Double your activity or get better at any of the metrics. Right. Get better at closing. You don't have to speak to as many people. Not as good. You need to speak to more. So uh, my ex-boss, uh, he taught me the value there. And I was always a guy who did not like numbers. I don't have a head, a head for numbers. I'm, I'm great verbally. I'm not great at math. But he taught me that numbers are my best friend if I want to make a ton of money. So I'm with you a million percent. Um, maybe could you describe to uh, the viewers... What is a fractional VP and who do you do that for? Got it. So there's certain businesses, fractional is not the appropriate type of work because the business is big enough, it's robust enough, the teams are large enough. They need a full-time sales executive to run the business. However, you know, for many business owners, um, they found themselves running sales. They may have zero expertise in sales. In many cases, they hate it. That's not why they're in business. They may have been a visionary, an innovator, but the business is never large enough. So they took it on and they grew it. And so, so many of them come to me and they will be flat out and they say, I hate running sales. I don't get it. I don't like it. So that's a big part of what it is. They don't need a major six-figure salary on their books full time, um, but they need somebody with that expertise to handle it and manage the business on a fractional basis. Now, I get pushback from some that says, well, how is this possible? How can you possibly run my sales organization giving me eight hours a week, for example? And one of the answers I go back with is, okay, you've been running this for years. How much time have you been able to give to your sales organization with everything else you have going on? And usually the answer comes back, not nearly that much. Yeah. Yeah. I, I get that same question. And, and for me, it's it's very similar to what you're experiencing. Uh, what kind of results are you getting with the time, amount of time you, Mr. or Ms. Business Owner, are putting into your team? And 
is it working? You don't like doing it. You're not good at doing it. So if if you're not good at growing sales, managing a team, getting them to produce as you know as good, well as possible, then my eight hours or 10 hours or whatever it is a week is going to be way more valuable. And mostly it's because I actually know what I'm doing. In, in every instance, in my, for me, Jeff, um, every sales organization that I've taken over as either a VP of sales or a sales manager, the salespeople are reporting directly to the owner of the company who, as you said, A, doesn't know how to manage salespeople and doesn't really want to because they can be a pain in the rear end. And they're not investing enough, enough time in running their business because they're spending too much time trying to manage a team of salespeople who do need some attention. And right. somebody who knows what they're doing, like yourself, can do it in a lot less time than somebody who has no clue. So I'm with you a million percent. And, and you know, there's one interesting aspect as well that business owners don't necessarily realize. But in, in many cases, in most cases, they're privately held businesses. And at some point, they need an exit strategy. They want to sell the business. There is so much less value in a business when there's a valuation done. If the owner is running sales, there's no sales process in place. The owner is the rainmaker uh, because without that person in place, the business does not have the same level of value. So that's another instance coming in and really putting process into place and removing that person from that role becomes a very valuable asset. Yeah, I, I... <clears throat> not only does it take the aggravation off of them, but uh, they get back a lot of time. I, I remember when I engaged my, my first outsourced sales management client, and uh, it, it, was, it was really fascinating. Um, a, a client who had used me 10 years earlier to do a lot of training with his team called me up out of nowhere and said, hey, we haven't done anything for like a decade. You know, why don't you come in and spend a day with my team? And I'm like, okay, sounds great. Love to. Uh, I, I hope you have money, but as long as you got money, yeah, I'd love to do that. So I go in and uh, at the very first break of the day, he comes up to me and says, wow, I, I'd forgotten how good you were. In fact, you're even better than you were a decade ago. And he looks at me and he said, is there something we can do more often? And right. Jeff, I had never, ever spoken or thought of this before. It, it thought it never occurred to me. I don't know if you believe in God or whatever, whatever it was, something else was speaking through me at that moment because this thought had never occurred to me. But I said to this guy, what would you do with your time? if you didn't have to manage your salespeople. And I'm not exaggerating. I will exaggerate a story to make a point, but I'm not exaggerating here. His eyes got wide and he got an excited look on his face. He said, wow, if I didn't have to manage this team of babies, he had, he had seven people across the country right. selling uh, server maintenance for mainframes. If I didn't have to manage my team of babies, I could, and he listed like five things off the yeah. top. Boom, oh, yeah. five things. I said, okay, I'll manage your sales team for you. We can do that. And yeah. he said, you want to come work for me? I said, no, I don't want to do that. And again, I had never thought of this before, Jeff. It came to me in the moment. I said, I'll be your outsource sales manager. And he gave me a weird look like, you know what? And he asked me what that would entail. And again, I'm making it up as I'm talking to this guy. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll do the other thing. Shook my hand. And I, that's how outsource sales management was born. And I actually came back to my office after the training session and Googled it. I Nowhere. Nobody right. was doing it. And I now know that there's a lot of people that are doing it, like yourself and large organizations, but it's brilliant. Uh, again, guys, if you're saying hello, hello to you all. But if you haven't connected your Facebook to StreamYard, I don't know who you are. Ben Gipps, oh, <laughs> happy snow day to you too, my friend. <laughs> um, so in order to be an outsourced or, or fractional VP, um, do you need industry experience for the role? So that's a great question. It comes up a lot. Um, and the answer really is no. Um I focus mainly on business-to-business -business sales, though I have aspects in doing B to C, but uh, I have businesses that are wildly different. Um, I don't come in saying that I'm a product expert. They've got product experts there. Now, I've handled so many prospects, and many of you have done the same thing. You know you can learn that, and you can really learn products pretty quickly. There is processes that are very, very similar that go from industry to industry. It's process-based. It's setting up, you know, job descriptions and developing job descriptions. It's setting up a sales process so that it's documented. Uh, it's setting up, one of the things I do is a whole sales playbook. Um, you know, look, you know, when you watch your Sunday football game, the players have got a playbook. They've been running and they've been studying it. And when new players are trading and they come in, they're handed a playbook. That's what I develop as well. Um, yes, are there idiosyncrasies from industry to industry, sure. But if you're curious, if you're open-minded, you'll pick up those really, really fast. Yeah. 
and, and if you have half a brain, because, you know, sales, I'm, I'm in complete agreement, sales is sales. I don't care what you're selling. Are there differences between selling <laughs> sales VP services or sales training and selling refrigerators? Of course there are, but not that much. You still need to talk to a bunch of people, have a conversation with them, make friends with them and all that other stuff. So it's not that different. What I always tell my prospects uh, for, for this service is, look, I'm not going to be able to answer the day-to-day questions that your salespeople have about the particular business. I probably never will. Uh, for example, uh, one of the gentlemen who's on right now, an excellent salesperson, his name is Ben Gibbs, really a pleasure to work with. Um, the, the companies in the packaging, they're manufacturers of packaging. If Ben called me today, not that he would, but it, I mean, he calls me, but if he called me about pricing today. If he said, hey, Jeff, I've got a big deal. What should I price it at? My answer would be, I don't have a clue. I don't know what we charge. I really don't. I have no clue. But my job isn't to do the day-to-day stuff. So with, with when I'm talking to a prospect like like Ben's boss, it's like, I won't be able to do that. You're still going to have to do that. But I'm going to take all that. I'll run the sales meeting. I'll do the hiring, the firing, the training, the motivating, all that day-to-day stuff that they don't want to do. So I'm with you. Um, in your experience dealing with you know many different companies for a long, long time, what are some of the biggest challenges that you find salespeople face? And, and what advice for you to have, do you have for them around overcoming those challenges? So one of the biggest is, uh, I'll say it's persistence. Great salespeople are persistent. Um, they, they don't necessarily take no as a final answer. Uh, they will find ways to work around it. You know, picking up a call, you know, putting one phone call in or one email, um, many, you know, they won't stop. The good ones will continue and put a process together to constantly follow up. Uh, it could take, in many cases, well over a dozen points of contact before you can ever really come through and really have a conversation with a key prospect. That's one of the, that's one of the biggest ones. Um, you know, and true hunters, and we will get a, we can get a, into a conversation that true hunters that love going out there and finding new business, um, they, they they let they let negative thoughts wash away. They let you know a no wash away. They'll go to the next the next opportunity, but that's one of the biggest, that's one of the biggest, um, you know, hurdles I see across the board. Yeah. For, for a while I had a partner for about three years and he always used to say, no, it just means no for right now. It doesn't mean no forever. And, uh, you know, I'm sure that like me, you've heard a million times, you know, don't take it personally. I disagree. Uh, you know, I, I often go against what most sales trainers or sales experts will say, don't take it personally. Well, guess what? They said no to you and that's hard not to take it personally, but you can't let it affect you. Or if it's going to, let it affect you for two minutes. Get up, walk around the block, do what you need to do to clear your head, and then come back and get it because you're a million percent correct. Most salespeople give up too soon, often right before the finish line. They don't have a methodology. They aren't organized. uh, They aren't efficient in their follow-up. You've got, clearly, anybody who's not using some type of CRM today is out of their minds. let's, Let's use whatever tools we have to make our lives as easy as possible, given that Sales is not an easy gig. Uh, So, you know, there are tools that you can use, but but you've got to be organized about it. And if you think you're going to talk to somebody once or twice and they're just going to go, yes, sometimes that happens, but not very often. And I've found that sometimes by keeping your your name and your uh, your information in front of people, sales come in sometimes years later that you just completely forgot about. I, I, I had a guy one time call me up. Uh, Jeff, you probably don't remember me. My name is, I'm not going to say his name. I don't want to embarrass him. Uh, but but you, my name is so-and-so. And I'm, I have to admit, I, I apologize. I don't remember you. And then he described his company. I said, oh, of course, I know exactly where you are. I, I do remember you. What can I do for you? Uh, and he said, well, we spoke five years ago about you speaking at my national sales meeting. And I didn't use you then, but I'm having a national sales meeting again. And I think I'd like to use you. So, of course, I asked the obvious question was, out of curiosity, why didn't you use me five years ago? To which he replied, Jeff, I have to be honest with you, it was sticker shock. I said, oh, I get it. Well, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is in five years, my prices have not gone up. The bad news, my prices have not gone down. He goes, no, I know it. We're just going to work together. But here's the important thing. I said, look, I I know that you get calls from guys like me 15 times a week, sales trainers who want to work with your team and are going to help you increase sales. How did I stick in your mind for five years? I mean, I know my mom thinks pretty highly of me, but how did you remember me after five years? He said, easy, Jeff. I get your newsletter once a month. I read it every single month. I circulate it throughout my entire company, not just to my salespeople, to everybody. That's how. So we have to have some way of keeping top of mind, whether it's a newsletter, phone calls, whatever it is. 
But if we think that people are just going to go, oh, nice to meet you, Jeff. Uh, and then they're going to call you a month later and go, yeah, I'm ready to do business. It can happen, but it's up to us. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm perfect agreement. Persistence pays. But let me ask you this. How do you, how do you balance that with beating up or, or the same list? going after the same prospects over and over and over because there does come a point where there's a diminishing return in making the call to the same person. Exactly. Well, and that's something experienced salespeople develop, but it's also a time to sit back and reflect. Are the actions that you're taking proving useful and workable? Uh, And you may have to shift and adjust what you're doing. Um, For example, um, you know, a lot of you know, new people coming up in sales today, they don't like picking up the phone. They don't find the phone is effective. So they're saying, you know what? Nobody answer, ever answers my call. So I'm just going to email and I'm only going to email. Well, how successful are you getting? If, if you're not getting the results, consider putting some calls in. Finding ways to break through to grab somebody's attention is really important. And there's different aspects to do it. You know, one of the things you just said, which is really important for salespeople to understand, it's not just important for you to find prospects. They have to find you. You have to make yourself visible in social media, sending out newsletters, um, just as much as looking to find the prospects. I've got a client right now, and I'm going to be spending some time very shortly with one of the heads of one of the divisions, who on LinkedIn only has 22 connections. Now, in today's day and age, I honestly don't understand how anyone can be successful having that little presence on the most important business platform in social media there is today. And I'm going to find out and have some discussions. There may be some real reasons for it. I'm I'm very curious to find out what those are. Yeah. Well, it could very well be that that person's getting enough business without it. But if I was sitting in your shoes, I'd be looking at, really? Do you know how much business you're missing? Now, now, I'm not huge on more connections is better. I mean, 22 is nothing, uh, but but I'm not all about, I, I need 10,000 connections. What I want is 10,000 engaged followers. I want people who are waiting for my my content because that's how I use LinkedIn. You know, I, I think a lot of people are, have the mistaken impression that the best way to use LinkedIn is I want to do business with Jeff Claire. I reach out to Jeff and I say, hey, Jeff, let's connect. And you say, sounds great, Jeff. And now we're two Jeffs who are connected. And the next thing you know, you've got an, a DM from me through LinkedIn saying, hey, Jeff, I'd love to talk to you about my fantastic coaching services. Right. That, that doesn't work. You, no. can't, you can't say hello to somebody, shake their hand, and then go buy from me immediately. Exactly. You have to develop a relationship. So I find that LinkedIn and social media are great for that. You mentioned something that's very near and dear to my heart. I always have to laugh when people say the phone is dead. The phone never worked. It didn't work when dinosaurs were alive. The phone won't work when the black holes swallow the sun. And it certainly doesn't work now. And my answer is always, you're right. It doesn't work if you don't do it and if you don't do it properly. And the way I teach it is just one of many. There's some incredibly great experts that can teach cold calling. But the phone, I say anything that most people aren't doing, that's what I want to do. So if most people aren't using the phone, I'm going to stand out. If You know what really works well these days that almost nobody uses? Direct mail. Nobody's using direct mail anymore. Why? I don't know. Except if nobody else is doing it, when I send you a letter, it's going to stand out. Here's another one. and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you'll agree. A handwritten thank you note. I mean, it's it's very expedient to send an email, say, hey, Jeff, thanks for the meeting. Really nice talking to you. Hope we can do business. It goes immediately. And that's great. Except when you get one a couple of days after the meeting in your in your mail and you open it up and it's a handwritten note from me, even though I chicken scratch, but you, you, it should be good enough to read it. You're going to say, wow, this guy took the time. It's just like getting a, a birthday greeting on Facebook. I love those. I love having three, four hundred people who I don't really know wish me a happy birthday. But the one or two who send me a card to the mail. Those are the ones that count. So Absolutely. we really need to connect, wouldn't you say? Yeah, I mean, we are in a connected business. If you don't enjoy personal relationships, don't be in sales. I don't care if it's done virtually. I don't care if you're email. This is a relationship-driven business. Um, it doesn't mean you you have to be a major extrovert. In fact, many of the studies are showing that introverted people are better salespeople because they listen more. And listening is an important tool but you do need to develop a relationship. You know, years ago when I first moved into the sales side, and when you have a big pencil, you know how nice it is and people are coming to you. Um, And then you switch sides to the table and all of a sudden you've got to develop that relationship. You have to do things. 
My wife said to me, you know, first you develop uh, a friendship and then you develop business with your friends. Now, friends may be a little further along than you need to be, but you do need to develop that relationship. And that's really important. And, and that should be really you know, emphasized. Yeah, because a couple of old dogs like us know that a lot has changed in the last five or 10 years in sales. But one thing that hasn't changed over all the time, unless you've got what somebody wants and they cannot get it anywhere else, which is not the case for you or for me and for most of us, they're going to do business with somebody that they like and trust. And it does boil down to that relationship. You've got to have a relationship and value. And if you can't have those two things, you're probably not going to be very successful in sales. Don Levine, our uh, executive recruiter in uh, the Sales Pro Network, says hello. And Don, bravo, you finally figured out how to get your name and not your wife's on there. Beautiful. Good morning, Bill Danielle, a true sales professional and a sales management professional. Ben Gipp says, Jeff only knows his price, not, not Ben's price. That's absolutely true. And Phil also says 100% on the direct mail. Yeah, old school. You know what? Old school often works. The fundamentals often works. In fact, when I'm teaching sales, sales or prospecting or managing, it's all the fundamentals. I'm not teaching anything fancy. There's nothing that people can't implement because the fundamentals are what works. That's why we call them the fundamentals. Right. All the, I, I don't know about you, Jeff, but, but well, I'm, you know, when I'm talking about training, uh, when I've worked with a company for a couple of years, eventually they'll get to the point where they'll go, hey, Jeff, when are you going to teach my people the advanced stuff? And I always tell them the same thing. I'll teach your people the advanced stuff when they start using the fundamentals that I've been working with them on for two years and you aren't reinforcing. And by the way, there is no advanced stuff. I, do I have advanced programs? Absolutely. It's the fundamental programs with different words. It always boils down to if you do the bakes, if you prospect consistently every single day, if you work on establishing relationships, if you can articulate your value proposition, if you, and you said, used a word that's so crucial, if you actually listen to people instead of pitching, stop pitching. It's not about your billion presentation skills, your strong closing skills. Experts like Jeff and myself, what we do is we have great conversations with people. Jeff, am I talking out of the top of my head? No, you're absolutely right, right, on, right on spot with that. Um, the whole idea of selling is we're, we're, we're providing a solution to something. And you may not know what that solution is until you hear it being mentioned. So let your prospect talk. Let them talk as long as they want to. So do your research ahead of time. Find out what makes their business uh, successful and what problems they're having. Um, and then customize what your responses are going to be. Uh, that's really going to be pretty critical. Yeah, I, I often tell people, we do not get paid to speak. I get paid to speak when I'm training or giving a speech. Like I'm flying to Georgia next week. I'm giving a one-hour motivational talk. I get paid for that. But when I'm selling, I get paid to ask questions and listen. Uh, here's a question that I got just yesterday from somebody, and it comes up all the time. By the way, if you guys have questions for Jeff, please put them in the comments. I'm sure he'd love to answer them. I'd love to hear what you have to say about this one. How many calls a day do you think it takes to get a prospect? Um, that I don't even know if I have an answer to that question. Um, that was the same answer I gave yesterday. <laughs> you know, it can, it can be one call. It all depends. I mean, there's different levels of, you know, the first thing you have to do is qualify the lead. You know, and make sure, you know, you may have a lot of leads, but qualify them. Are they fitting what, are they really a good lead? And that's a really critical part of it. So you're not wasting time. Um, really do the, do the work ahead of time to figure that out. Yeah, th th there, there is no answer for how many calls does it take to get a prospect because it's different for every single person, not just every industry, every company, every person is different. So you might take two calls to get through to one person where I might have to call five people. Right. I might be able to get an appointment with somebody in, in two conversations, but you need 10. It, it all depends on your personal metrics. And that comes back to why it's so important to track your own personal metrics. There's no right. way I can come into an organization or Jeff can come into an organization and say, here's how many calls you should be making. Here's my advice. Make as many as you can. Track it actively and you will figure out. I usually think it takes about two months. Two months of daily prospecting and tracking it. After two months, you're going to know how many times do I have to dial the phone to actually get somebody on the phone, which is an, an art in itself these days. How many conversations result in an appointment? How many appointments turn into sales? These are the metrics that Jeff was talking about right. before. They're crucial. But in, you've in got some to get as many as you can. And in some cases, you know, I work with, with companies to develop a documented sales process that will literally put a cadence together of when you email, what time frame to to, to your next contact point, should it be a call, should it be an email, different ways to mix up the messaging. And at the same time, e you know, each person may be different and, and have individual style. And you have to make sure that that is also, you know, allowed 
within a, a sales process to be done. Um, you know, like phone calls. Yes. And one of the, the big um, pushbacks I get from salespeople is with all the robo call, calls today, nobody picks up a call from a number they don't know. Granted, I won't. I won't unless, you know, I know what it is. I don't have the time. But there's ways around that as well. For example, you may send an email saying, hey, I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to talk. Um, you know, we've been trying to connect. We haven't done so. This is what I'll do. I'll call you on Wednesday at 2 o'clock. If that time is not convenient, please let me know. If they don't let you know you call at 2 o'clock, they may remember that. But they have the option to give you either say I'm not interested or I can't talk at this time. I can talk at another time. There are ways to circumvent those issues, those phone call issues. Yeah, I love that negative option. I've done the same thing with people who door knock. Now, I don't door knock. I never did. Well, I've done it for other companies that I've worked for. But in this business, you don't walk around, you know, hoping that a VP of sales will just drop everything and come out and talk to you. That that would be ridiculous. Plus, what kind of impression am I giving if I have nothing better to do than wander around hoping I can talk to somebody? Right. But I have worked with people. And uh, in fact, I was down in Florida one time. I had been working with an insurance company and I had taught them the method, you know, uh, leave a message saying, I'm going to be in your neighborhood next Wednesday at three o'clock. I'm going to be stopping by unless I hear back from you. Right. And we're, you know, I'm riding from sales call to sales call with one of these guys and observing and coaching. And we're on the way to the, to the next one. He goes, uh, I said, tell me about this. When he says, oh, yeah, I did that technique that you taught us. You know, I'm going to be there. If I don't hear from you, let's stop in. And all the way there, I'm going, oh, my God, <laughs> let's hope this works because uh, I don't want to look like an idiot. And we get in there and t he tells the receptionist who he is. She gets on the phone, calls the person he was looking to meet with. And you could hear the anger in this woman's feet as she was pounding. I mean, pounding down the hall. I was terrified. I knew she was going to come out and ream us. And she actually came around the corner and said, you don't have an appointment with me. What are you doing here? And he said, oh, yeah, I left you a message three days ago saying I was going to stop by at this time. If you didn't call me and I didn't hear from you, I apologize if I've offended you. She goes, oh, you know what? I do remember that call. Come on in. Exactly. It's great. That's in. a great, great story to put against that. Yeah. It, you know, make the, make the calls. Um, you, you mentioned something earlier and just now, and I'd like to talk about that. One of the things you do, <clears throat> excuse me, is you help organizations create a sales plan. What mm -hmm. is a sales plan? And is that something that salespeople can do for themselves? They, they can. Absolutely. So, you know, first of all, and there's many companies, you're getting paid either commissions or salaries, so, some way of making a living. So there needs to be a plan that goes against it. If you're getting paid $100,000, there's going to be expectations of a company to make X amount of money over that to cover what your salary is. So you start developing a plan of what that looks in place. How many times my salary should I be looking at? One company I work with, they work on a multiplier. If I'm going to be paying you $100,000 for us to be profitable, I need to do five times that amount in business. That's a starting point. Uh, there's prior year's business that could be done. Um, there's planning your business on what percentage do you want on recurring revenue from existing clients? What percent do you want to drive against new business? And if you have a, if you have a, either a head of sales or an owner that's really involved, they will start developing strategies to help that sales plan that would work with the plans that they have for their business. A sales plan should mirror what a company's long-term strategic initiatives look like. Uh, and when they don't, um, that's where a lot of problems really come in. And in many cases with salespeople, it gets to the, the, the compensation plan. If the compensation plan doesn't match what the strategy of the company is, then there's all kinds of other problems that come along the way. So mm -hmm. for example, if a company says, we want to develop new business, new business is the lifeblood and the success we're going to have, but they're paying the same commission on easy to come recurring revenue from existing customers as new business, what is a salesperson going to do? They're going Take to the easy work. path. The easy path, sure. They're there to make money. And that's where all of those alignments need to take place. Yeah, brilliant. Uh, I, everybody who I manage, everybody who I coach, I expect a business plan. Or, or it would call, you can call it a sales plan or a business plan. Not the kind of business plan that you take to the bank to get a loan, but you, you know, let, let's use this gentleman, Ben Gibbs, uh, for example. Really excellent salesperson, really terrific. Really, this guy gets it. 
I'm just going to make up numbers. Let's say Ben made $100,000 this year, and next year Ben's going to make $200,000. <clears> it's actually more because this guy's really special. But but let's just use those numbers. Well, if he made a hundred thousand this year, he can't do the exact same things he did this year, next year, and expect to make two hundred thousand. So what are you going to do differently? Write it out, break it down into its component parts, and put dates on everything so that you have something to work off. Because if you're just taking a well, I'm going to do the best I can approach, maybe you'll end up okay. Except I'm not a big fan, uh, and anybody who works with me knows I hate the word hope. It's not that I don't like people to be hopeful, but when te- people tell me, I-, I hope to close this deal, I get very, very nervous. Right. Know that you're going to close it or don't, but don't give me a maybe. So yeah, I, I, you've got to have that business plan. And something just occurred to me about something else you said earlier uh, regarding cold calling that nobody picks up the phone. It's just not true. Is it harder to get through to people these days? Absolutely. Is it harder to get people to return your call on a voicemail? Way harder. But the But nobody picks up the phone? I beg to differ, my friends. And a perfect example is a a company called me. This is probably a decade ago now. I can't remember how, eight, 10 years ago, company in San Francisco that sells advertising. Uh, Jeff, we've got a very young sales team. I want you to teach them how to cold call. And here's your challenge. The challenge is they don't believe anybody ever picks up the phone or anybody returns a call. I said, well, if that's the case, why am I teaching them how to cold call? Because I want, and he said, I want to show them that it does work so I can get them to do it. I'm like, okay. So I right. spent an entire day with this team, teaching them how to cold call. And then the next morning, I always go back and sit with them for three hours while they're making calls and coach them on the spot. So all day long, it, it was like an entire day of kids in an audience with arms crossed going, you know, I, I could hear the, the the hate pouring out of them for what I was teaching them. And all right. day long, yep, nobody returns a call. We deal, we deal with a lot of young companies. Nobody's using this. You know, they're texting. We're, nobody returns a call. Except the next morning when they actually when we they were forced to get on the phones, amazingly people were answering the phones and amazingly people were calling back. Miraculous. Yeah. It's like guys like you and me have some miracle that we bring to the table sure. and gets people to answer at that time. Now there are some tools though that can that help can help. One of my clients, uh, their sales teams, their numbers were going out and it was registering as an eight hundred number. Well, nobody picks up eight hundred numbers because they know usually it's it's some, you know, by Somebody's selling, yeah, somebody's selling you a new car warranty again. Um, but I got them to change that, and it made a big difference. So, there, yes, there's times where you have to take a look at what's happening and make some, you know, technology changes. It could be very helpful for that. Yeah, uh, I, I know this is not typical, and I know most people don't. But me, I answer every call, every single call. Because here, here's my theory, theory. You never know. You never, ever know who's on the other end of the line. And I had a call the other day. It was a number I did not recognize. I was busy, just like you, I'm sure. I'm busy all day, every day. I'm juggling as fast as I can. And I'm like, I don't know who this is. And I really don't have time. Let me just take a shot. It was somebody who wanted to hand me a bunch of money. Hey, Jeff, I'm glad I got you. Can you do this? I'm like, well, I'm glad I picked up that call. I mean, maybe he would have left a message, maybe not, or may, maybe he would have left a message and I wouldn't have gotten around to it. I pick up every call. Also, for me in, in the training business, I will I'll listen to every pitch, every single one, and then I'll do the same thing at the end. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know what? You're really good at this. Is there a manager who I can reach out to and just let them know what a good job you did? And they'll almost always give me a manager's phone number or email. And then I simply get in touch with them and say, hey, I spoke to your rep, Jeff Claire, the other day. Um, I happen to be a sales coach. Can I give you some feedback? And I've always got some constructive criticism. I've gotten business that way. And I know not everybody picks up the phone, but some people do. Um, Let's talk about an approach to prospecting. Um, It's easy to take what I'll call a shotgun approach and just go after everybody. But I'm going to assume that you agree. I think it's smarter to define a target market and create an ideal client profile. I believe that's one of the things that you help people do. How can salespeople find their best prospects, their best customers? Yeah, so that's really important. A shotgun approach, you know, that's tough. I mean, you know, you're just basically trying to figure out what's going to stick to the wall. So understand the business that you're in. Understand the type of customers you're getting success with. Find customers that are like those that you've been able to close business on. Um, so yeah, a perfect example, um, with a client, we closed a, a really nice business with a national company in a certain, in a specific industry. The next thing I brought the group in is to say, okay, obviously there's something that we had here that was very interesting to this company. Now let's find all those companies that are like them, that are not potentially competing against them. And let's put that prospect list together for that. Then 
okay, what are the right job titles that are important for the, the products that we're selling so we can get involved and drill down into that? Uh, for those of you, for example, that don't use Sales Navigator as a part of LinkedIn, you may want to consider that because you can start driving down customized account and lead lists that really focus a, a prospecting level to a, to a finer degree. Um, that's one of the you know critical tools that can help you in that game. But definitely, definitely target um, instead of going a shotgun approach. Yeah, that search function in link in Navigator blows away the the, the free version. Uh, and I always tell me, you know, think about for yourself. Who do you want to do business with? What does your ideal client look like? Like I have a set of definitions for who I want to work with and who I won't. For me, now, now look, I'm older. I'm less patient for, for, with everybody. And so if you're going to be a pain in my ass, I'm not interested in working with you. I don't need your money that badly. If I'm not going to have fun with you and your team, if I don't think I, I'm going to be challenged, I don't need the business that badly. Right. If you're not going to pay me what I ask for, because I don't know about you, Jeff, I don't negotiate a penny. I tell you my my fee, that's mm -hmm. it. You don't want to pay that? Let me introduce you to one of my competitors who are all very good at their jobs and most of who charge less than me. You're not going to pay me according to what I'm asking for and the way I get paid, which is always in advance. That's not typical in the training business, by the way. In the training business, usually you get half up front and half when you're done. Not this guy. Uh, one of the things I, I heard over and over from companies, what, wow, business is great. We just can't get paid. I never have that problem. I decided to avoid that problem by you. I don't leave my house unless your check has cleared my bank, period. But if you don't know clearly what's good for you, how are you going to find it? Right. So I, I, I'm with you. The sales plan is crucial. Do, do you have any um, kind of general overall tips for helping people grow their sales? So, you know, one of the things I look for in, in salespeople is curiosity. The more curious you are, the more you're going to find that business. So be curious. Subscribe to industry magazines. Um, join networking groups. Talk to people. Um, take a look at your social selling index score in LinkedIn. It'll show you how engaged you are with companies and people. Um, just look up. If you don't know what that is, go on to Google and look and punch in LinkedIn social selling index, and you'll be able to find out how you can get that score. Um, Read, you know, read magazines like Inc. Magazine, Forbes, uh, start responding to articles, start jotting down companies that are emerging in the industry that you're at. Um, it, it, all of that goes such a long way. Tell people what you do. Um, engage in conversations. You'd be surprised how people want to help you. Um, and, and one of the big things I would say, consider giving first. Be surprised if you give of yourself how many people really feel a, a great need to reciprocate. So open yourself up, help, help others. Yeah, absolutely. The law of reciprocity says, if I do something nice for you, you're probably going to want to do something nice for me. And I'm going to add into that prospect consistently. To me, look, I'm sure in your role, because you're not an employee, neither am I. I get asked lots of questions by the people who are thinking about doing business with me or doing business with me. And they're all about, look, I have two areas of expertise, sales, sales management. So I get asked a lot of questions about, Jeff, what do we do to increase sales? Now, again, I'll often exaggerate a story to make a point, but there's no exaggeration here. 50%, no kidding, 50% of the time, the answer I give to CEOs, company presidents, and vice president sales about how do we increase sales, tell your lazy ass salespeople to go see more prospects. I don't care how they're going to do it. You want a cold call? You don't want a cold call? It's okay by me, but you got to speak to a lot of prospects because I don't care how good you are, an expert like you, Jeff, or me, uh, who, who are expert level salespeople or the newest salesperson, if you're not seeing enough people, you simply cannot close enough business. I, I, I often say, look, I'm so good at selling, people pay me large amounts of money to teach them how to sell, but I can't possibly close enough business unless I'm speaking to enough prospects because as good as you are or I might be, more people are almost always going to say no than yes. I don't have a better than 50% close ratio, right. and I'm an expert at this. So you've <laughs> got to be speaking to a lot of prospects all the time. And I'm not sure who said this or whether they're talking to you or me, but one of us is a miracle worker. <laughs> thank you for the compliment. Of, I'll, I'll thank you for Jeff, and I'll thank you for me if that was for me. You know, and, um, and for some industries and some businesses to get more prospects, there are automation tools out there to help do that. Next it, question. It doesn't take away from the personal work. But for example, there are auto lead generation tools that will really work with you on a personalized basis to figure out who your target audience is, 
to scrape information, to get the emails and phone numbers and develop a uh, an email and a call cadence to help that happen, to increase that. But again, it's not a shotgun approach. It still is a targeted uh, campaign that should be done because it's and not expensive either. They, they charge by the number of contacts you're going out after. And what are some of the tools, the automation tools that you like? So I, you know, I, there, there's a number of them out there. So first of all, having a CRM system in and of itself is important. And there's a lot of right. good ones there. It's really appropriate to find the right one for your right company in the business that you're in. You know, Salesforce is the dominant CRM system, but they're dominant for large enterprise companies. If you're in a small, medium-sized business, you know, consider HubSpot, consider Pipedrive. There's a number of really strong CRMs. It, many of them have the tools within that to do a number of work, like sending out drip campaigns. Um, other ones I've used that have been good have been Aptivo, um, is um, Active Campaign. There's MailChimp. There's Constant Contact. A lot of those can really do the work for the what you have there. There's also some interesting tools out there, something called Lead Feeder, which helps identify who's looking at the company's website and how long they're on certain pages. And they let you know what is a weak to a strong lead to follow up on. And this, in, in fact, connects in with, with, with HubSpot or it can work with any other CRM system to then start putting a cadence and tracking that business down. Yeah. Um, with LinkedIn, the, the one critical issue with LinkedIn is you don't necessarily get a work email or a work phone number. And there are companies like um, Zoom Info or Seamless AI that can do that. They are not inexpensive, though. Just understand that, they, that you charge a pretty premium for what they do. But that can be critically important to have that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Those tools. The, the gentleman, Ben Gibbs. <laughs> who I've mentioned a couple of times, the company he works for, we've, I've got one guy there who's using LinkedIn Navigator with Seamless AI. They interface beautifully, not cheap, but he's going after enterprise level uh, businesses. And it, it, it's he, he gets cell phone numbers, cell phone numbers of people from Seamless exactly. AI. It's miraculous. And, you know, uh, I, I, I've been asked a lot of times, you know, uh, I shouldn't be calling people on their cell phone. Why not? I mean, and that's people, they don't even have a landline anymore. Call. And that's one of the key trends happening in sales today, I would say. What that really is in many ways is artificial intelligence, which is entering our industry in a pretty big way. I don't actually understand all of it. I don't understand the algorithms of how it does what it does. But keep your mind open to what's happening in terms of AI. Yep. And in, <laughs> in terms of CRM, I'm constantly stunned when I go, get into an organization and they have no CRM whatsoever. If anybody does not know what we're talking about here, customer relationship management software, it's simply a database where you can put in your notes and you can do all kinds of things with it. Uh, I'm stunned that people don't have it. I personally use Pipedrive, like you mentioned. Uh, another one that uh, I did not like when I used it years ago, I told you I had a partner for a while and he liked Zoho. I thought mm -hmm. it was horrible, except I recently was exposed to it again. They have made dramatic leaps, in amazing increases. In fact, one of my clients just implemented it. All kinds of great automation tools included with, it's called Zoho One. Fantastic. Not that expensive. Salesforce, I happen to not be a big fan. They're brilliant at marketing, just like Patron Tequila. They're brilliant at marketing. It's not the best tequila. It's expensive, but it's not the best. But they, they spend a lot of money on marketing, and so does Salesforce. Unfortunately, Salesforce, I find difficult to use, not on the sales rep level, but as an administrator writing reports. You almost always need to pay a rather expensive implementation partner to help you make it useful for your enterprise. And there's way less expensive things that do exactly the same thing. And that's, um, a, key thing. that's a key point that you made. Uh, while I work with CRM systems, I am not a tech guru. I don't profess to be, but I will bring in um, implementers that are excellent. That are and, and the ones I look for are those that are um, agnostic to the CRM system. They're not in bed with any specific company. They will find the right system for the right company and then implement it properly to give you the dashboards and the look that you're looking for. Yeah, there's so much great information you can get uh, just by <coughs> entering regular information into your CRM. All kind of reports you can get about who are my best clients, what is my closing ratio, what's right. my average sales cycle, what's my average dollar volume for sale. Simple stuff. That's a pain in the rear end to track on your own. Your CRM will do it for you in an instant if you know what you're doing. Right. Um, 
What do you find, we, we touched on this briefly, what do you find is working well in terms of business development and prospecting? Is there any one particular thing that you think is working the best, uh, a blended approach? What, what's your advice? I think like everything, it's kind of a blended approach, depending on where the business cycle comes in. Uh, and, and don't consider and keep doing the same thing over and over again. Mix it up somewhat. Uh, bring different different avenues in it. Uh, in many cases, it, it could be uh, demonstrating what's being done. Does your company do white papers? Are they giving some information? Many businesses are, are different in what they do, so it's really hard to say do this because it may not be appropriate for that industry. Um, and certainly, I would say one thing that's massively changed, if you're not comfortable selling virtually, uh, you better get comfortable because that's going to continue. Regardless of where we go with COVID, regardless how long it takes me to finally get rid of this, um, that's going to be important. So consider getting some equipment, get a ring light, get different microphones. Uh, I've known some salespeople, depending on their business, they've literally set up a showroom to be able to show product because they're not being able to do it face-to-face. Um, that that would be something that would really be important to do. Yeah, it, it's like you were reading my mind because that was the next question I was going to ask you. How do how, how do sa- What do salespeople need to do to adapt to the world of virtual selling? Because it's not going away any, anytime soon. Not only that, I'm a big fan. Now, my belief is nothing takes the place of a face-to-face meeting. Nothing. It, it, actually being able to shake somebody's hand or whatever you do, give them a high elbow or whatever it is these days in, in the era of COVID. But uh, you better be, there's an incredible time advantage in selling virtually. I mean, you want to get on a plane and fly to another city or you want to have a one-hour conversation and then move on to your next thing? I'd rather meet people face-to-face, except you know what? There's incredible value in the time savings. I can speak to a lot more people. And I'm with you a million percent. There's some very simple things that you can do. One, whatever platform you're going to be using, if you're using the prospects platform or the customer's platform, then you better know how to use it. Like I don't use Teams, but some of my customers do. I had to learn how to use Teams. Otherwise, I look like a dope. I'm, I'm familiar with Zoom and StreamYard, uh, right. but you got, you got to do that. A simple thing like a ring light, being well lit. You don't, you don't want to look like you're in the dark because if people can't see you, they're focused on, I can't see that guy as opposed to what the conversation you're having. Get a, an external microphone uh, so, so that you do have good sound. Um, you know, uh, how about upgrading your internet connection so that you're not buffering constantly and people are going, you, you froze. You know, what is it? Learn where the controls are. You know, I think the most famous phrase of the last two years is you're on mute, dear. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there's some yeah. Simple, simple things you can do. And, there- and, think, and, and think about hiring somebody like you, Jeff, that, you know, th- to help teach, um, uh, uh, you know, how to read body language, how to do things differently virtually that you wouldn't do necessarily the same way uh, when you're face to face. Consider recording a presentation. Um, and, and one of the things I talk about with sales management is one of the aspects that we find as we do a lot of studies as to what's working and what's not is how few what we used to call ride alongs would take place with either an owner or a sales manager with a sales team. Well, in today's day and age, there should be view alongs, you know, have the boss, have your boss sit in or record it, review what's being done uh, to improve what your performance is. And then share successes with others. So simple, that advice, and so important. I gave it just yesterday. I had a salesperson on one of the teams I'm managing ask, how can I get better, Jeff? What can I do? And I had a bunch of ideas. But one thing was, how about just record yourself? Put on a Zoom call. Don't even call a prospect. Just get on a Zoom call and give yourself your own presentation. Give yourself your own demo and then watch back and see what you look like. Because I guarantee you don't look like what you think you look like. Right. You don't sound like what you think you sound like. I, I, I used to do this in person with companies where I would videotape them in, in a conference room doing a sales call. I'd train somebody to play the role of the customer. And I'd do a videotape with me just standing on the side, you know, taking right. notes, not giving any feedback, just doing your regular sales presentation. And then I would plug my camera into a monitor and show them what they just did. And I can't tell you how many times people would say stuff like, Gosh, Jeff, I didn't know I picked my nose when I'm talking to prospects. Right, yeah, I right. noticed that too. That might be a good thing to not do. So yeah, there, there, there's great value in that. Um, we're, we're quickly running out of time. Are, are there any emerging trends in sales that people should be aware of? Well, I mentioned the um, the AI and I mentioned virtual selling. So those are two really uh, pretty important ones. One of them, we've been talking about this, is this whole fractional selling environment is becoming much more important, not just fractional sales, but fractional businesses across the board 
as companies have become much more comfortable having teams working remotely, they're also much more comfortable about having somebody that may not be a full-time employee doing work for them that have great skill sets. So I would say that certainly affects what's done here. And as a salesperson, you may determine, okay, you know, maybe I don't want to be full-time with the company I'm with. I really like what I'm doing. And I want to take, you know, it's really coming back to the world of independent sales representations, which has kind of faltered some degree. Um, that's coming back as well because people are saying, you know what? I, I can see more people with the time I have because I'm not traveling as much. One of the other ones, and it was taking place long before we even came into COVID, was uh, using video conferencing and other tools to have larger territories. Because small territories that you had to travel to were was not economically sound for many companies to work with. And well, and today it's it's grown even further. The one aspect that we haven't figured out how to get around though is time zone. You know, it's really kind of it, it, interesting trying to work across the globe, unless you're going to be up all day and night, how you handle that type of work. Now, there's companies I've worked with in India, they work on U.S. time. And their people are up in the middle of the night to work with you. Um, but aside from that, um, the, the kind of the world is our oyster. And that's a huge trend. The world's gotten a lot smaller. Yeah. I, I heard from a guy yesterday who I, I used to manage his company. I have it for over a year now. Uh, and he was just asking some quick advice. And he lives in Boston. His, he used to live in California, and that was his territory. Well, California is still his territory. They, they manufacture uh, the equipment that makes craft beer. Really fascinating stuff. Mm. Cool company. Nice, nice people. Really enjoyed working with them. And I said, so are you moving back to California? He goes, no, I'm doing everything virtual. It's beautiful. Big time that's, saver. And I'll tell you one of the big trends that's happening that's, I think, important for many salespeople out there on this call. They may be determining, do they want to change companies? Do they want to do something different? You've heard of the great, you know, uh, retirement or the great, the great quitting of jobs that's taking place. There are a huge number of very important high-level sales positions that are open today. So if you're considering making a move, it's a wonderful time. Uh, companies are paying more. As I work with recruiters, look, I like to work in, and I advise companies to try to work on a 50-50 um, base exactly. to comp. But I will tell you, honestly, in today's day and age, you're coming back and saying, you know what? You may want to, but if you do, you're going to have to increase your base. It's become such a competitive marketplace. And it's actually turning more into a 70 or 75-25 um, arrangement base to uh, variable for that very reason. Yeah, I, I also am a big fan of a 50-50 plan. Anything more and you're encouraging laziness as far as I'm concerned, but you got to do what the market's saying. And you, you keep beating me to my next question. It was perfect. What advice do you have for salespeople who might be looking for a new opportunity? So first of all, you know, decide yourself. Do you want to be uh, what I'll call the hedgehog approach, which I came, think came from Jim Collins' book, Good to Great, where you're going to focus on a single industry and become a massive expert in that industry? Or... Do you see yourself kind of opening up to, to different opportunities and different businesses, trying to figure out what you want? Put a list together of what you find to be important. Um, you know, geographic restraints you may have. Put those ideas down and, and kind of weight what you find important and then find companies that match that as closely as you can. That's and then great. work a referral system. Work people that you know. Get referred in. Network like your selling. Random. You know, work, work, sell yourself the same way you would look to sell your products. Yeah. Network your rear end off. I was a recruiter for five years. I own my own recruiting company for four. The best jobs don't come from anybody other than somebody who's in the company, somebody who's networked in. So got to do that. I'm not sure what this comment means. Nadine Billard, too damn many, but it's from my friend, Peter Ekstrom, probably a guy you should know. Peter, if you, if you guys don't know how to cold call, Peter's a great person to talk to. Uh, uh, the name of his program, oh, I think it's called The Gold Call. And Peter is a guy, he has, you go to his website, there's recordings of him making cold calls right there. He, this guy's an expert, really, and a good guy. And uh, somebody says, networking is your net worth. I completely agree. Um, before we go, I wanted to see if I can uh, share something real quickly with you guys. Here we go. Uh, this is the Gold Countdown worksheet that I was telling you about. Uh, I filled in a couple of numbers. I'm happy to send this to anybody. This is just an Excel spreadsheet. You put in what your goal is. So if your goal is $100,000 for the year, 
every week when you earn, you put in what you've earned. It's going to calculate how close you are to your goal, what you've got left to go, and how many weeks you have left. It's a very valuable tool. I would suggest that you use something like that if you don't want to use mine. But anybody who does want it, just email me, Jeff at JG Sales Pro, or if you're in the Sales Pro Network, you can uh, DM me. Just send me your email address. I'll send it back to you. My pleasure. Um, and then I'd like to also share, Jeff, your information. Um, if somebody wanted to reach you, get in touch with you, Jeff, what's the best way to do that if they were interested in working with you? So I will pick up my phone. <laughs> Not every call, but I'll pick it up. So my phone number is there as well. You've got my email address, my website. I'm also on LinkedIn and very active there as well. So the multiple ways. Um, reach out. You have any questions? You need any advice, any help? I'm, I'm, I'm certainly here to do so. Fantastic. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for your time today. I know you're a little under the weather recovering from COVID. I really appreciate it. I know you had stuff going on. It has not been a happy new year for Jeff so far, but look at him smiling. He's got the great attitude. This, this is a great uh, hour, Jeff. Thank you so much. It went by very oh, I'm glad. Well, thank you. Thank you, my neighbor to the north. Uh, I'm on Long Island. Jeff is in Connecticut. Uh, and as I'll, I'll end this, as I always do, well, first, let me tell you guys uh, one last thing before we end. Um, the new year is an exciting time for most salespeople, although it can be daunting because no company, no matter how good you do the year before, no company on January 1st or 2nd says, wow, you did such a great job last year. Take it easy this year. For some reason, the quotas always get higher and higher. But the good news is at this point, it's the 7th. So you've got 300, I think, 48 days to achieve your goal. But this is not the time to slack off and go, oh, I got a whole year, plenty of time. You need to be hard charging every single day. When you need to take a break, take a break. Otherwise, you need to be prospecting your ass off. You need to be talking to lots of people. You need to be following up, like Jeff said, because there's money to be made. And if anybody needs any help, please reach out to me, either through the Sales Pro Network or directly. I'm here to help you. If somebody's looking for a fractional VP of sales, Jeff Clare is a great guy to call. And I'll end as I always do. Please remember this. Sales is a game of making things happen. So get out there this year in 2022 and make sales happen. Thank you, Jeff. Have a great one. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Take care.